get into it. So, Father God, I just thank you for, for the opportunity today uh, to, to speak and to share what you've been uh, speaking to me about, what you've been showing me and talking to me about, Lord. And I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you would have your way this morning, that you would move in this place this morning, that you would bring understanding and revelation and impartation of truth to each of us as we read and as we hear this morning. Uh, your word and your truth being spoken, Lord, and that you would continue the great work that you have begun in each and every one of us, uh, and, and, and you, would, you would teach us as a church what it is we need to do and what it is we need to understand to see more of all that you are released in our lives, in our church, and in the community that you've placed us in, Lord, because we know that there is more that you're wanting to do. And we just pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, you would give us understanding. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. Amen. So uh, I don't know how many of you read the, the Thursday Thoughts this week. Uh, Keith's Thursday Thoughts were not Keith's Thoughts this week. They were mine. May have still had his name attached to it. But um, uh, in that, I, I kind of just touched uh, a little bit on um, the mindset that, I have and, and, and where my mind goes and the things that I think about. And, and, and when I think about like the early church, uh, obviously the, uh, um, the, the apostles, you know, immediately after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension and, and, and what they did and how the church functioned uh, when they gathered together, but also how they kind of functioned within the community, the things that the church was known for. But not so much just that specific time period, but oh, thanks very much, you. Uh, but uh, over the next few hundred years, uh, specifically, you know, what did the church do? What, what did the church look like? How did they behave? How did they practice? How did they outwork their faith over those first few hundred years? Because it's interesting, super interesting. You can look back uh, at history, uh, you know, the, the history of the church uh, over the last few thousand years. And, and, and if you actually track and read like historians and read church documents and uh, the early church fathers and stuff, you can recognize when the church really started to change the way that they originally functioned. And you can see and you can read about and get an understanding of the moment when, when the church began to lose some of its power and some of its authority. Because there were certain things that happened. I'm not going to go fully into that today, but we'll, we'll touch on pieces of it. There, there are certain things that happened that changed the entire structure essentially of what the church looked like, of how it functioned, of how it was perceived within society. It, it all shifted. But, but, but you know, roughly for the first 300 odd years or so, uh, 350 odd years, the church functioned the way that it originally did after Jesus had died. And, and there's, so, there's, certain, there's so much interesting aspects about what the church did then and what the church experienced then that the church doesn't so much experience now. And, and so we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, so which one is more accurate? Which one is a more accurate representation of how God wants his church to look? How it looked and functioned and outworked in the beginning, just after Jesus had gone and, and the disciples had been with him and, and, and been taught directly by Jesus. And so that flowed on in, into the early church. Or is it now, after a couple of thousands of years of man's involvement in church and changing structure and changing this and saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to do that this way now. Let, let's change. It. Let, let's, let's change you know, how, how we do things. I'll give you a, a little bit of the history. So essentially, um, when 
when Constantine um, made Christianity the main number one religion of Rome, and I can't remember the exact year that was, but I'm going to say it was around 400 years uh, after, uh, uh, after Christ. So when that happened, that's when huge changes came about in the church. And suddenly things that were just uh, normal for the everyday lay church person and in, uh, in being able to pray for people and lay hands and pray for the sick and all that kind of stuff, that was now essentially taken from the lay person and only the priest was allowed to do that. Only the bishop was allowed to do that. And certain things that, that again, normal church people would just do in their day-to-day lives were now under the authority of, of a man who say, no, actually, we're not going to do that. Like, And it just continued to shift over the years. And even with um, things like uh, using objects um, in worship. So the Catholics, for example, uh, when they were doing uh, exorcisms and, and, and that kind of stuff, uh, rather, than, rather than just as the early church did, it was just the power of God and the name of Jesus. They bought into it, okay, now we're going to use this, with this the wooden cross and we'll take the silver cross and we'll take these items in with us when we're doing this because the power is actually in these items. Well, no, no, it was in the name of Jesus and that's the way the early church functioned. But So that was essentially what, one of the biggest changes and you can see over the course of the years, uh, if you go back and, and, and read church, uh, church history, how more and more from that point on, the church got further and further away from God's original intent and design for his church and became more about man's idea and man's focus and what man wanted to do. And, and so there's been this, this incredibly large shift. So it, realistically, we look at it now, there's this great divide between what the church was and what the church is now. However, over recent years, there, there has been uh, somewhat of a restoration going on uh, within God's church because he, he's saying, okay, that's enough now. It's enough. It's time for my church to get back to functioning the way that I wanted it to, 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 to get back to, to, to being a place um, and a people that are filled with the power of God and that's what's outworked through their lives. Not the wisdom or the understanding of man, but the power of God outworked in the lives of his people who he's called and who he's saved. Amen. So I wasn't even going to go into that, but I think it's actually important to, to create a bit of a, a base uh, understanding. So today, uh, we're going to take a look uh, both through Scripture and through the writings of some of the early Christian historians about what the early church looked like and how the early church functioned. Now, obviously, first and foremost, just to cover my bases, first and foremost, uh, the Bible is the Word of God, and that's where we go. That's the authority. That's what we trust in. That's where we get the truth and our understanding and our answers from. However, the, the, the Bible, right, isn't the only book or the only writing on the planet that is true or that, that contains truth. Okay? It teaches us about God, but we can, we can rely on other historical documents and other historical writings uh, that have been credited and that have been, you know, experts have looked at them and said, yep, this is legit, this was written by this person. We can look at these things and gain insight and understanding from these writings about what the early church looked like because they, um, they line up 
with what Scripture says. If they didn't line up with what Scripture said, then we would cast them away. But they, they line up with what Scripture says. So we can gain a deeper understanding. Because the Bible does paint a picture to us of what the early church looked like, how it functioned, how it kind of went about things. But there's also a lot that it doesn't say. And that's where my mind goes. Lord, I want to know and I want to understand what did it look like? What did it look like? And the reason why it doesn't, uh, it's not as descriptive as I would like is because when the writers were writing it, they were living in it. So they didn't need to put it in writing and describe it to the people who were living it out, right? Because they were just in it. They knew it. They understood it. So that's kind of uh, where I, I want to go today. So to get a better understanding of how the early church functioned, that the early church was not void of the power of God and the name of Jesus and the workings of the Holy Spirit, and to show us as well and this is important, that, that the, the church is for believers. That the church is for the believers. And I'll get into that a bit more and explain that a bit more. But the church is for believers. And so the reason that I want to do this is because, number one, God's, this is what God's been saying to me. But when I look at the, the Western church as a whole and how it's portrayed and how it functions in a lot of ways is in... Uh, is, 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 is directly opposite to how the early church functioned. And again, which one should we think is more right? How it was in the beginning or what man has turned it into? And, and, and I believe, and this is me personally, I believe that, that a lot of the lack of the power that the church has as a whole, uh, as a whole is because uh, the, these purposes have moved away from him. And as a result, mankind at times, even though people with a saving faith and a belief in Jesus have done things and and made decisions that they thought were right in the moment have actually taken us further away from the truth of what the the gospel actually says about the power of the church and the power of believers. So again, so there's much that we can learn from Scripture. So we're going to look... we're going to look there first about the early church, how they functioned, what they did, what the believers did. And then we're going to look at, uh, at a couple of, um, of the early Christian historians today. And we'll probably continue with a few more uh, next week, just seeing uh, how we go with that. Um, so to give us deeper insight into how believers' lives were outworked in the first couple of centuries after Christ's uh, death, resurrection, ascension. So let's start by looking in Scripture first. um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through to 17, which says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, uh, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is a bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we can see through this verse a little bit of how God wishes and intended for his early church to be seen and known by all those, uh, uh, by all those around them at, at the time. Um, to, to everyone who will take the message and carry the message of the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of heaven is near. See, that, that was the message of the early church. It was the gospel of Christ and they preached that the kingdom of heaven was near. 
that the kingdom of heaven was near them, was among them, that there was power, that there was, that there was authority. They were to live in unity with each other. And if someone had a problem, they were like, okay, let's go and deal with this so that the church is unified and that the church is united. And we can continue to function the way that God uh, and Jesus taught us to because we're unified together and we understand it. And when they gathered together, they said, let the, word, uh, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing others. So using the word to teach and equip and, and encourage each other uh, through, through psalms. And they would get together and they would sing hymns and spiritual songs, which is exactly what we did in this place this morning. And I don't know about you, but, but I, I felt the intensity of, of the power of God in that worship this morning. There was power in it. There was authority in it. There, 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 because you, all of us here in this place, were of one mind and understanding that we're doing this and we're doing it to glorify God. And that's what the early church was instructed to do. When you get together, do it to glorify me. Teach the scriptures, sing, uh, you know, read psalms, sing songs, encourage each other, do that. That's what the early church was called to do. And that the other church must be kind-hearted, must be humble, must be able to help bear the burdens of others, both physically and spiritually, and be able to be great examples of their forgiveness that they first received in Christ. And see, this is a big one, and this is an important one. And there are other scriptures which I haven't put in here because I wasn't going to go down this track, but that talk about specifically Jesus saying along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, but if you don't forgive, then you won't be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's huge. That's, that's huge for us. Be, forgiveness is hard. You would have heard plenty of sermons and messages on it. This isn't what today's about. But, but that's what the early church were encouraged to do. Deal with the problems among you so that there is genuine forgiveness. Because if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. So that the church could function in unity, you know, bearing each other's burdens, both physically and spiritually. And that's the thing, being great examples of the forgiveness that they received in Christ. We receive forgiveness through Christ first and foremost. It wasn't us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. But Christ died to shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. And he did it when we didn't deserve it. So whether or not people deserve our forgiveness, Christ gave us the example, no, no, you forgive because I forgave you. Okay? So we also see an example of how the church is to function when they meet. Again, the, the, to, to, uh, to dwell richly in the word, to use the word to gain wisdom from the scriptures, encourage each other with the reading of psalms, spiritual songs, sing worship. Um, again, in James chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So again, talking about if someone's sick, Get them together, pray for them. If someone's, you know, if someone's cheerful, be cheerful, be happy with them. Like, do this together. It says, confess your sins to one another. And this is a difficult thing to do. But it's something that, 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 that honestly, when we learn and understand the importance of doing that, it, it, it changes so much about our understanding 
right? And it stops things from being hidden in the dark and brings them into the light. And Scripture says that the things that are in the dark will one day be brought to light. Again, paraphrasing, because I haven't got that Scripture in there. But that's what it does. Uh, A friend of mine uh, uh, recently... Uh, contacted me and, and basically asked me to, to have that kind of relationship with him where, 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 where once a week we, we, uh, we have a conversation with each other uh, and we're just open and honest. This is what I've done this week. This is where I stuffed up. This is what I did that was stupid. And it's, it, it's, it's safe because we, we trust each other. We know it's not going to go anywhere else. But we're confessing the, the mistakes that we're making and then we spend some time praying for each other, right? And I encourage you, if you don't have a friendship or a relationship like that, get one and seek one out. Because even over the last couple of weeks that, that, that we've been doing this, it has made a difference in, in my life as well. Because I have, and, and really it shouldn't take this for us to do the right things, right? But, but I have now in the back of my mind, okay, on this day, I'm going to have to talk to this person and tell them and be honest, right? And so there, there's that thing going on. Okay, I encourage you, get a relationship like that because that's what the church was called to do. Let's get together. Let's support each other. Let's confess our sins so that nothing's hidden in the dark, so that there can be true and genuine forgiveness and the church can function as it's called to. Um, again, that, that, that's, that verse is teaching the church how they should be with each other when they gather together. The early church... Right? As we strive to be today, right? our church that are for each other, support each other in all things, they gather together, pray and worship collectively so that together they can seek the truth of God and be empowered by His Spirit to go forth into the world with the same message that the early church carried, the gospel of Christ and the reality that the kingdom of heaven is near. And we've talked about this a little bit over the last couple of months, but it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about understanding that the kingdom of God is present with us because Jesus is present with us, because the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us, the kingdom of heaven is near. The things of heaven can be on earth because the king of heaven is living and dwelling within us. So the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of heaven is near. Again, 1 Corinthians, this is kind of covering a lot of bases of the early church, but 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually as He wills. Right, so it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit were to be present in the church. They weren't meant to be hidden away. They weren't meant to be forgotten about. They were meant to be on display and functioning in the early church because each one is for each other. 
Right, the person with the gift of prophecy is there to uplift and encourage and, and the, the rest of the church. The person with the gift of healing to lay hands on and pray for the sick. It was that the gifts were given for the benefit of all. And it's, it's quite clear that not everyone was given the same gift. It says some will do this, some will do that, others will do this, right? We don't all have the same gifts, but all the God-given gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been given to His church are for the edification of the church, are for the believers, right, to be encouraged and to be empowered. And these things were to be outworked in their meetings and when they gathered together. It wasn't to be hidden away. It wasn't to be done in certain uh, special meetings when there's not other people around. It was a part of of the way that the early church functioned. Later on, um, in, in, in Corinthians, in, in uh, chapter 14, verse 26, uh, it says this, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Let the gifts of the Spirit flow. Let there be an abundance of the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit present in the church because that's what God has gifted to His people and to believers. Jesus said, and the, uh, when I go, the Helper will come, right? And he will be with you forever. It's not a temporary thing in the, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was meant to be for the life of the church that it be power that it be empowered by the, the the Holy Spirit. That the gifts of the Holy Spirit be outworked continually through the lives of believers, so that the world will know that there is power and authority in the name of Jesus. Right? That's what the early church was called to do. So when the church gathered, it was so that God could be glorified first and foremost, but also that the power of God and the great works of the Holy Spirit could continue to be outworked in the lives of the believers in all the nations that the message of the gospel had traveled. That was what it was for. However, as I said, man gets involved. Right? And... Over the course of history, and I won't pick on any certain denominational people, but over the course of history, uh, so-called spiritual leaders began to focus more uh, and put more value on um, man's wisdom and man's understanding over the power of God. And to be someone... um, important in the church, uh, they didn't want to look at you if you were outworking in the gifts of the Spirit. No, no, no. How much do you know? How much wisdom do you have? How much philosophy do you understand? Uh, How much theology can you pull apart? That's what became more important than the power of God in the church. And, and, And even... I've got to be careful, but over recent years, there's been a shift in the mindset of what the church exists to do and how it should portray itself. And a lot of churches now function as if their purpose is for non-believers. Right? They're focused and they believe that their purpose... And, and when they gather on Sunday, they believe, oh, no, 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 churches for the unsaved. Because if someone who's unsaved um, comes into this place, you know, we don't want them to see any of the weird stuff that we do. 
right? So let's, let's just keep it plain. Let's keep it simple. Um, you know, if you... Yeah, I do have to be careful, but... Um, you know, the, 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 the focus has changed and, and church has become about the non-believers so that, they'll, so that they'll feel comfortable if one day they decide to come to church. Right? On the off chance that a non-believer decides they're going to come to church today, let's just structure our church service and do church in a way that would be comfortable and appropriate for them. Has become the norm. Right? But church is for the called out ones. Church is a gathering place for believers to gather together in worship of our God, express our deep love and gratitude for all that He has done, and so that we, can church, we, the church, can be a living expression of all that God's people should be. It's not a place where we should hold back for fear of scaring people away. Right? Because... Gosh, because people need the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit because that's what changes and transforms people's lives. It's not just coming in here and you know making them feel comfortable because it's a nice service and there's nice music and the words are nice and someone went up and chatted to them afterwards and those things are all good and I'm you know do that. But if there's no power in the church, then what's going to save them? Because we can't save them. Nothing, nothing I say, nothing any of us say can save anyone. It's the gospel of Christ, the truth that they need Jesus because they are sinners for living in a, in, a, in, a, in a fallen world full of sin. People need to hear this because without a revelation of their need for God, they have no need for God. And the church needs to be a place, as it was in the beginning, that is filled with power, where the gifts are being outworked, where if somebody who comes in who doesn't know anything about it, it may be weird for them, yes, but they're going to encounter and experience the power of God at work through prophecy, through healings, through miracles, through deliverance, whatever it is, they're going to experience the power of God when they come to church. When people come into this church, I don't want them to just think, yeah, that was nice and that was comfortable, I'll go back, but they'll be like... I want them to walk away thinking, wow, that was powerful and that did something in me. And you know what? They may not come back the very next week because it may have been a bit weird, but they will have experienced the power of God and anyone who has experienced the power of God can never deny the fact that they did. Anyone who's witnessed God do something and pour out His power can never deny what they once witnessed. And it may not happen the next day or the next week, but they won't forget and it will play on their mind and God, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to them and they will come back and give their lives to God and bow down before him because that's what scripture says, right? They need to, exp- to experience the power of God. Church is not a place where we should hold back for fear of scaring away an unbeliever, right? There needs to be wisdom in this, okay? There does need to be wisdom in this as well. Because if I was to just get up here and um, just preach a whole sermon to you in tongues, right? Not wise. Um, Not okay, right? So there does need to be wisdom. But if somebody has a tongue and the Holy Spirit is leading them to do that, there needs to be freedom in a place for that to happen. If somebody has a prophetic word, there needs to be freedom and a place for that to happen, 
right? And not at a separate meeting we do on another night in another place where we'll do these things here because there's no non-believers. No, no. It needs to happen in church because church should be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So God's church in the early centuries after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ was filled with an abundance of the outworkings of the gifts of the Spirit. And the same things that Jesus had done while he was on earth, example, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, was being done by the believers of the early church. We have historians from the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries that confirm this reality. We're going to look at just... um, at a couple of those today. And again, we'll probably look at uh, more next week. So first we have um, this guy called Justin Martyr who lived from, um, from 100 to 165 uh, AD. Now, Martyr is not actually his, um, his real surname, but he was martyred, so he became known as Justin Martyr. I don't know his real first name. So interestingly, this guy. Now, before his conversion to Christianity... Uh, Justin was a philosopher uh, of his age, a very wise man, profound man, and understood wisdom and you know, underst- understood a lot of stuff that, that we will never understand. And so one day uh, he was walking to, um, to, to his quiet spot that he used to go to when he was sick of people and wanted to be alone. He would go to this quiet spot and just think and contemplate and do whatever else philosophers do. Um, but on his way there, he encountered this old, this old guy um, who kind of like got in his way essentially and started to tell him about Jesus. This old man was a Christian and started to tell Justin about Jesus and about the gospel and, and about everything to do uh, with Christ. And, and in one of his letters, he writes of this conversation that he has with this guy and he says, immediately a flame was kindled in my soul. Right, so immediately this conversation, something happened in this guy, Justin, that transformed him uh, from uh, a a non-believing person, a a philosopher, to a solid, sold-out Christian who who became, uh, and he kind of called himself um, a philosopher of Christ, right? Because he now spent his time and his focus and his energy understanding the gospel, understanding the intricacies of the Word of God, and teaching them and using the truth of the Word to confront those um, in his time, like, uh, again, Rome was um, killing Christians and anyone who, who professed to be a Christian, they would just take them. And if they refused to denounce Christ, then they would be killed there on the spot. If they denounced, then they were set free. But uh, so th- this is the time that, um, that Justin is living in. And so he, he actually confronted by letter the leaders of Rome who were killing those who confessed Christ. And, and he confronted them with the truth of Christianity. He confronted them with the truth of what the church was and what it was that the church did. He wrote this, this huge letter. Um, he probably wrote multiple, but, but he wrote this letter, uh, which he called um, uh, The First Apology, which, which essentially, if you look at it, is like the first apologetic letter ever written. And he wrote it to the leaders of Rome to petition them to teach them, to bring them understanding about who the early church were and what it was that they did. Right, because he, he yeah, it, it's so interesting. So in his writings, uh, there's a writing... Uh, a dialogue with Trypho, and, and he starts chapter 82 of this book. He says, For the prophetical gifts remain with us even to the present time. 
So again, this is 100, 165 AD, probably towards the end of that because he wasn't uh, saved early on. It was when he was older. Right? He continues the same line of reasoning in chapter 87 of this book, that the Spirit continues to impart the gifts of grace to those who believe in him according as he deems each man worthy thereof. The following chapter, 88, is, is, is explicitly affirmative of the presence of the spiritual gift. He says, Now it is possible to see among us women and men who possess gifts of the Spirit of God. Right? Again, he's writing this. He's, 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 he's telling these people, this is, this is what the church is. This is who we are. In his second apology, right? this is another letter uh, that he wrote. So in, in, in his second apology, he also claims that many believers are still casting out devils. And he says this, and, and now you can learn from your own observation for numberless, uh, numberless demoniacs throughout the whole world and in your city, many of our Christian men exercising them in the name of Jesus Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, have healed and do heal, rendering helpless and driving the possessing devils out of the men, though they could not be cured by all the other exorcists and all those who used incantations and drugs. So he's writing that this is the power of the God that we serve. This is the power of the early church. He's writing to these Roman leaders and he, he, he says continually in his, in, in, in his writings, go and see for yourself. He says, as you would see for yourself, go and look at your people. Go and have a look at what's going on around you, at what's happening in your city and you will hear countless testimony that the Christians, that the men and women of God are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit is changing what's going on in your city. Those who are, uh, who are possessed and who uh, have demons are being set free. And he goes on to say, it's interesting at the end of that, he says, though they could not be cured by all the other exorcists and those who use incantations and drugs. See, the thing about this exorcism, deliverance, however you want to look at it, uh, however you want, however you, you, you want to say it, it was a reality of way of life for all cultures back then. Every culture has its, has its own uh, way or own idea that they would deal with spiritual things, demons, exorcism, again, whatever word you want to use. But it was a reality of the way of life for all nations back then, right? And so this is saying that your other exorcists among you, Romans, those who use incantations or magic and those who are even giving drugs, Interesting that like that still hasn't changed today. We're still giving here, here. You've got a problem here. Take this drug. They were doing it back then. But Justin Martyr is saying, well, you will see among you that, that those who, who did all these other things, they could not bring freedom to these people. But the Christians, the believers, the early church, by the power of God, by the name of Jesus, and because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there's power there and people are being set free. Right? This was the early church. Another historian we have uh, is Irenaeus. Or Irenaeus. I don't know. Uh, and this guy was, um, was uh, a Greek bishop who, who guided many Christian communities uh, and heavily and strongly defended the true Christian faith from the rise of heretics and those who would try to quench God's true church. And he was 100% behind the fact that the charismatic gifts or the gifts of the Spirit Right, were an indication of dis, um, were, were an indication of discipleship of the true Jesus. He wrote this, and this is what he believed: that 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 the gifts of the Spirit being outworked were were an identification of discipleship of the true Jesus. 
essentially what he's saying, if you meet someone who calls themselves a Christian and there's no power, is what he's saying, then it's not the true Jesus. Because he's saying those who follow the true Jesus are filled with the power and the gifts of the Spirit. And they're being outworked. He writes this. Those who are in truth Jesus' disciples, receiving grace from him, do in his name perform miracles so as to promote the welfare of other men, according to the gift which each one has received from him. For some do certainly and truly drive out devils, so that those who have thus been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them and they are made whole. Yea, moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remained among us for many years. So, uh, Irenaeus is, is roughly um, 200 years after Christ. We've gone from Marta in the 150, 165 region to Irenaeus roughly 200 plus years later. And he's still writing about the power of the Holy Spirit, that the church. And it, the, the way these guys write, it's not just talking about the leaders. It's talking about the, the believers. Irenaeus saying that, um, that, that true discipleship, that, that any true disciple of Jesus will outwork these things. It's not just for a select few. It's for the disciples of Christ. He writes this as well. For this reason does the apostle declare, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, terming those who have received the Spirit of God and through who the Spirit of God do speak in all languages. As he used himself also to speak in like manner, we do hear many brethren in the church who possess, predi- uh, who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages and bring to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God, whom also the apostle terms spiritual, they being spiritual because they partake of the Spirit and not because their flesh has been stripped off and taken away uh, and because they have become purely spiritual. Right. This is just two of the historians that, that, that we have. And this is just a portion of, of their writings. I, I read through the other day uh, the entire uh, first apology of, um, uh, of, of uh, Justin Martyr. It's like 61 or 67 chapters or, or something in there that he writes. It's incredible. Like reading how he presented the early church and the power of God to those who were opposing the church, the way he defends the, the truth of the gospel. And again, he says to them multiple times, just go and look for yourself. He petitions to go and see, like, look at what's happening among you. But we can see just for, from these two that for the first two centuries, uh, at least after Christ, that the early church was filled with power. And that where they went, there, there was power. 
There were miracles, there were healings, there were prophecies, there were demons being cast out. It was a reality of the early church. It was a constant of the early church. And this isn't to, to shame us or to condemn us, but how often do we see these things? And it's, it's not for lack of want on our behalf, because I know that there are many among you and your desire, your heart, is to see these things. So maybe there's some things we need to change about how the church is portrayed to the world. Again, I've got to be careful because I can choose my words. Because the church is kind of instructed now to try and portray itself um, as somewhere that is safe for all people. And you can come and, and, and you can feel safe and you can feel accepted, right? And there is truth behind that, okay? Because people should be able to come to church and, and, and feel safe and feel valued and feel respected and feel loved regardless of their background. Right? There, there is truth in that, okay? But they should also bear witness to the power of God at work when they come into church. Hearing testimony of people's lives changed and transformed. Hearing testimonies of those who have been healed during the week of someone who's been set free of something. This is what people need to hear. Because ultimately, we know that we are safe in God. And the ultimate freedom, the ultimate safety, it's in Him. right? And so we, we, we can't be afraid anymore of presenting the true gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And the power that we have because of him that he gave for it to be outworked. What did he say to the apostles in, um, in Acts? He says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power. Right? And I don't see anywhere in Scripture that says that that power ever left. Right? I, I haven't seen it. I don't think it exists. There are those who say that it does, but I don't believe that it does. Because I believe that the church is meant to be filled with power. And we as believers, outworkers of, of that very same power, that we see the miracle that the prophetic flows, that there's deliverance for those who need it. Like, all of these things should be a reality of the church because it was a reality for the early church. Right? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. Lord, that you've given us so much. You, you truly have given us so much, God. And Father, our prayer, our heart is that you would transform each of us and transform us as your church. 
Lord, into exactly who you need us to be so that the truth of the gospel and the power of the kingdom of God is present here when we gather and is present in our lives when we're outside these four walls. That we, church, would not hide away from all that you've given to us, Lord God. Though we know that the world will, will hate us for expressing the truth of who you are, we know that there is no other way for us to really live than to live how you've called us to live. In power and authority in your name, Lord Jesus, that you've given to us to use against the enemy, to use in this world, and the, the, the gifts, Holy Spirit, that you give to each person as you see fit, Lord, we hunger for these things to be outworked among us like they never have before, Lord God. And not just here in this place on a Sunday, but, but yes, let them, let them be released more in this place when we gather together, Lord God. But that, let them be released more so in our day-to-day lives, Father. That the people we encounter would encounter your power and your spirit, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need more of you. This world needs you. They don't need us, they need you. Lord, reveal more of yourself through us, your people. As, as we empty ourselves of the things of this world and be intentional about filling ourselves with the things of you and your kingdom, let your power flow. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.